Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. It's good to see you and happy Mother's Day. Such a great day to honor our moms that if we were all honest without which we would not be here. We would not exist on this great planet and nor would we with fathers, but today's not your day, so you get no nice things said to you. Maybe I should just preach a sermon about you and come down on dad so moms feel good, but we won't do that. So please take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. If you're new with us today, uh, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes and kind of going through a tour through life under the sun and Solomon showing us really what is valuable and what's not valuable. And there's a key word he keeps using throughout the book, vanity, especially in chapter one. He says, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities. And the the Hebrew word for that means, really just means steam or or vapor, that so much in this life is just disappearing and, and, and it's fleeting. And really, as we've been going through the book, Solomon's been talking a lot about pain in life under the sun, that it is often difficult, that there are troubles, that there are pains, there are frustrations and things that happen outside of our control. And especially on, on a day like today, some, some of us, there are, this day maybe brings more hurt or frustration or, or disappointment than it does joy. And if that's you, you know, the Lord, the Lord loves you dearly. He, he knows. And one of the gifts for that is the local church. So praise be to God that we have a body where we can bear each other's burdens and we can encourage one another. And that you do have a family here that's connected with you and supports you. And we're bound together by Jesus. And so today, I, I think today is a great day to make it a catalyst for honoring and loving and enjoying those who are around you and those whom are with you. There's a great passage in the Gospels when Jesus is walking and the disciples say, hey, your, your, your mother and your brothers, they're all outside. They want to talk to you. And he says, here are my mothers and my, who is my mother and my brother? He looks at his disciples and say, this is my family. And so here we have, this is our family too, the, the local church of, of King Jesus. And Solomon, as he takes us through, I, I think today is a very appropriate message as well on this Mother's Day as he thinks about life under the sun. And that Mother's Day's here, and then it really will be gone. But that doesn't mean we don't stop honoring our moms. We don't stop loving. But our days are fleeting. Our, our lives are all like light bulbs in the family room lamp. They're strong and bright. And then one day, they get a little weaker. And then you hear a click, and it's over. That bulb's gone. And so our lives, they're just fleeting. Our jobs, our money, it's all vanishing. And today, Solomon wants us to consider the way of wisdom and the way of the fool, and really the way of folly, and how we can live faithfully under the sun to honor King Jesus. And so as we do every week, if you're able, we like to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And so we'll stand and we'll begin reading in chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and we hear this from the Holy Spirit through our brother Solomon. And let's begin reading in verse 1 of God's Word. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment Give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. 
There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set up in many high places, and the rich sit in the low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him, who breaks through a wall, and he who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and no one does and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be, who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. And happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your own thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let's pray together. Holy Father, would you help us now by your Spirit to have ears to hear and to eyes to see what it is you have for us by your word. So would you help us now? And it's only by your grace we grasp anything of significance this morning. So help us, King Jesus, even begin a work in our hearts today that maybe we weren't even aware of, and even draw someone to yourself who does not know you today. Would you say them, Lord? Help us now, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I debated for a while whether or not to do like a special Mother's Day sermon. Um, there's lots of great passages. I mean, you got Proverbs 31, of course, and then you've got all the great moms of the Old Testament and the things that they did. And, and then you've got wonderful stories of, of women in the New Testament and how they served along with, with the Apostle Paul or how they were a part of Jesus's ministry team. But then, you know, I just read verse one of chapter 10 and I thought, this is a Mother's Day-ish verse if I've ever heard one. Let's read verse one again. Dead flies... Make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. That, that screams Mother's Day to me. More than Proverbs 31. So, brothers, check the gift you bought for your mom or for your wife. Make sure there's no dead flies in it. That's the application for this morning. You don't want the, the you to house fly going on there. Now, now, let's think about Solomon's word picture here with verse 1. This is one reason why I love the Bible why I especially love the Old Testament and love the wisdom literature from, from Solomon here. Because when you read verse 1, there should be some kind of, you're not even doing it, but your brain is making a little movie in your head, giving you this picture. And so at least it should be. You know, it should be a little mini movie playing where you read this. And I, when I see it, I see this big bowl, this kind of vat, and you know, it's ancient Near East, Middle Eastern culture. So you've got a guy that kind of looks like Aladdin, and he's got this big vat of ointment that he's been working on and working on for months. He didn't buy it from, you know, Bath and Body Works. I mean, he's making this stuff. And he's got in lilac and, and lavender and imported Madagascar vanilla flex and watermelon rinds. And just all these kinds of things that we now do in ointments, whatever. 
It's beautiful. Then he comes to work on, you know, Monday morning. He's got his first uh, guest, comes in, yes, I've got my new ointment. Come in, let me show it to you. They go into his boutique. He takes the lid off of his ointment to show it to the person, and it's gone Chernobyl on him, and now it's filled with dead flies, rotting fly carcasses, and now the, the droppings of these dead flies. Doesn't that sound great? Happy Mother's Day again to you. What's Solomon's point? Well, it's a disgusting picture. And it's true that if you know this, and you know this especially if you have kids and diapers in your house, you can have a nice candle going, you can have coffee brewing, cookies baking, wonderful smells all throughout your house, but then there's this little tiny human walking around. And it has got a little tiny surprise in his diaper wherever he goes. And now it's overpowering the vanilla bean chocolate chip smell. And that's just your candle alone. That's not even the actual cookies that, that are going. And here's his point about this. It's the end of verse 1. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Just a little bit, just a little bit of folly. A little bit of sin. It's enough to overpower wisdom and and honor and enough to be more noticed than than wisdom and honor and enough to ruin wisdom and honor. I mean, you know this. If you were to go out to eat after this and you got, as one of your sides, you know, you get like two sides usually, and one will be like mashed potatoes, others vegetables, and you say, I'll give me double mashed potatoes or whatever. It comes out and there's a hair in your mashed potatoes. You're done. You're you're sending it back. You're like, I'm not going to eat. I'll just remove it. You know, no, it's out. So a little folly, a little hair, a little bit of folly is more noticeable and destructive than wisdom and honor. That's basically what he's saying. And he said it earlier in chapter 9, the last verse in chapter 9. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 18 of chapter 9. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So one sinner destroys much good, and a little bit of folly, a few dead flies, one hair ruins it all. Under the sun, folly gets more attention. A ketchup blop on your white shirt is going to get a lot more attention. And we see this all the time. People live, you know, helpful, moral, decent, upstanding lives, and then one act of folly, just one. Maybe they drank too much and then drove home. They sent a foolish and flirtatious text message to a coworker. One, one act of folly and It outweighs everything else. All of your good works, all of your good deeds, that one act of folly tips the scales, knocks them over completely. Our life, Solomon's saying, our life is this perfumer's ointment. Our lives, they can be beautiful and they can be helpful and and bring a lot of pleasure and honor to those around us. But the folly of dead flies in our lives disrupt it all. Sin smells up our lives, and we've seen the effects of dead flies, of this sin in our own lives and in people around us. But one reason why we're not as concerned with dead flies all over our lives is that our culture loves it. Our culture loves dead flies. They're obsessed with them. From celebrity gossip and idiotic reality shows and vulgar entertainment and lemonade, I mean, our culture is obsessed with dead flies. Because dead flies and folly get more attention than anything else. There's probably not going to be a top-selling 
album about the virtues of a great marriage. But Beyonce releases this thing called Lemonade, and it just goes through the charts. Because people love to peer into other people's dead flies. Folly sells. Sin sells under the sun. But the wise person, the God-fearing person, the one who's been born again by the Spirit of Christ and is following Jesus is not duped by it. That's verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and it is an election year. So by way of clarification, let's just get this out of the way. This verse is speaking about politics, (laughs) but not in the way that we think. This verse is speaking about politics, but it's also speaking about the way you watch TV. Speaking about the way you'll speak to your kids after they did what you told them not to do. It's speaking about how you'll treat that irritating coworker. It's talking about how you'll love your spouse for the rest of your life. So this verse is highlighting, will you go the way of the fool or will you go the way of the wise man? Not just conservative, liberal. That, that, clearly, that's not what Solomon has in mind. It's will you go the way of God or will you go the way of the fool? And it's right and left because the way Hebrew people understood these concepts is that your right hand is typically, typically your dominant hand. It's your strong hand, the one from which you would pull the sword, how you pull the gun, how you would fight, how you would swing, how you'd shake hands, how you would eat. I mean, it was like everything. This leads me, this guides me, opening doors, throwing a ball, usually right hand. Your left, I can't even throw a ball with my left hand. This is the way that if I try to do everything with my left, I'm going to get hurt. If I try to cut anything with my left hand, I I wouldn't be able to do it. So he's saying, will you go the way that is helpful, the way where you'll find strength, the the way where there is security, or will you go the bumbling, hurtful, and idiotic way? This is really what Solomon's laying before us. The way of dead flies or the way of life? And that's verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road and he's just doing normal life, he lacks sense. It's plain. He says to everyone that he's a fool. Fools like dead flies can't hide it. They walked on the road, they walk into a room, and everyone can tell, okay, this, this guy's a fool. Folly makes itself known, but wisdom humbly and gently follows God. Foolish men they, and women, they love to be acknowledged. They love for people to notice them, but wise people They love to acknowledge God. Wise living is hardly flashy. Wise living is unnoticed by men, but treasured by God. That's Matthew 6, when Jesus says, when you're going to fast, you're going to pray, don't parade it around men. It is go unnoticed. Do it in secret for who your father, who is in secret, he notices. And Solomon gives this example for us because we think about it right now. Every day, every day, as disciples of the risen Lord Jesus, we have ample opportunities to choose which path we will walk in. Tomorrow, when you go to work, will you walk in the path of the wise man or the path of the fool? Will you follow what God says when that irritating coworker meets you again? And you can either go, how will this honor God or how will I give it to him? How will I say that snarky comment I've been saving? When you're in traffic, when you're with the, the server this afternoon, if you're going to go out to eat and they get your order wrong, will you go the way of the wise man 
or the way of the fool. Every day, we have ample opportunities as we live as disciples of the Lord Jesus to choose which path we'll walk in. And Solomon gives an example. Look at verse 4. If the anger of the ruler, you could take out ruler and you could put your boss, you could put coworker, you could put any kind of person you interact with, rises against you, their anger, do not leave your place. Her calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So someone's angry at you. Their voice is raised. Red, vein down the forehead. What's your instinct? Everyone's human instinct. Everyone. If you don't agree with this, you're a liar. Everyone's instinct is to retaliate, to snap back, to then puff up our chest, to get louder or, or just storm out of the room. Don't leave your place. That's what he says. Oh, yeah, watch this. Boom, it's over. I'm leaving. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not listening to this. I don't have to listen to you. I'm out. But what does Solomon advocate? Calmness. For calmness. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. He iterates this in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 25, 15, he says, with patience. A ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, calmness, that, that's not our instinct, but calmness is a missing quality in our day. Panic and retaliation and explosiveness, that's all the rage, but, but calmness and gentleness and a settled disposition of wisdom. That's the way of Christ. Calmness has a way to help disarm conflicts or at least not pour more rocket fuel on the bonfire. You see, fools just react. Fools just do whatever comes into their mind, whatever they think, whatever their first instinct is, they just, their reflex, they just react and do it, and I'll deal with it. That's just who I am. That's the way of the fool. The one who fears the Lord, who says, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. He is the one who sits on the throne. He is the one who is leading me by his spirit. Even our instincts are now laid at his feet. I don't know if you remember the story in the Gospels. This is an amazing story. Jesus and the disciples are walking, and they walk in through Samaria, and the, the Gospel writer says, and the Samaritans are not receiving Jesus. So they're not rolling out the red carpet. They're not, like, thrilled to see him. And James and John are not happy. And they go, hey, Lord, tell, us what, tell me what you think about this. What if we call down fire from heaven and kill them? I, I, what world is that okay? So when you read the Bible, like, get into really what they're saying. They're asking, hey, you want us to do it? I mean, you got stuff going on. We can call down fire from heaven, and we can kill all of these people who are not honoring you. How does that sound, Lord? That doesn't sound like very love thy neighbor. What it sounds like is they're reacting. Jesus is being honored. Let's smoke him. And a lot, of us, a lot of us act the same way, if we're honest. These LGBT people, are they crazy? Target crazy? Let's boycott them. I've never seen that ever work. I think boycotting, oh, it, does just, it just unites the bolstered egos of the boycotters, but we don't have time for all that. What does Christ advocate what does Solomon advocate? Calmness. Christ doesn't even freak out on them. What are you doing? Are you crazy? He doesn't say all that stuff to them. He just rebukes them. 
and then they move along. Freaking out on people doesn't get anything done. Well, that's not totally true. It does ruin relationships. It does burn bridges and other destructive things. Retaliation and anger and freaking out is therapeutic, there's no doubt, in the same way that getting electrocuted is therapeutic. You're feeling something, all right, but it's not good for you. Christians should be known as calm and non-explosive people because we know who's in charge. Because we have faith in the almighty, sovereign God that everything is trending according to his will and to his ways and that we've read the book of Revelation and we know how this is all going to end. And this election year is, if it has not already, it is going to challenge your anxiety and your supposed trust in the sovereign God. It is going to try you and test you as to whether or not you really believe the verses that all things work out together for good. Or whether or not you really believe the verses that here we have no lasting city. Or you really are not believe the verses that he is the one who puts kings in authority and he is the one who removes them. And whether or not he really is the one who has the king's heart in his hand and he can guide it like streams of water. So this, this year is really testing your faith. I think times like this, these, these are showing we are not being blessed by God. We are being judged by God, and that too is a blessing. So in this fleeting life, where will you look? What do you trust, and, and who do you trust? That's what Solomon goes through next. Look at verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. So in this life, as it were, an error proceeding from the rulers. So rulers are supposed to do good things. But here he says, they're doing bad things. What? Verse 6, folly is set in many high places. Fools are in leadership. The inmates are running the asylum. The rich set in a low place. Verse 7, I've seen slaves on horses and, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And when we, when we see the word here, slaves, we, we have to not import what we know from American history. This is not what Solomon's talking about. These kinds of slaves that he would be talking about in the, in the ancient Near East were, were typically men who were prisoners of war, or men who were criminals and gangsters, and people who they made such fool's decisions, they had put themselves in such bad debt that the only way they could pay it off was to enslave themselves to this company or to this owner and say, I messed you over, I'll be your slave until it's all paid off. So these are people who are just lower class in society, especially criminals. Solomon says, you want to see when a country's not being blessed, when there's an evil, when the people who have no, no skill at leading anything, they've only ruined their lives, they're the ones up on the high horses. They're the ones who are leading. And then you've got the people who, the princes, who have the nobility, who have been trained, and who, who know how to do this, they're the ones who are now living under the highways. It's a horrible thing under the sun when a country's leadership is turned upside down, when its leadership has been flipped. Our hope can't be in that White House, and no matter who is in it. And I know that we can all say that and go, yeah, yeah. And then we get on Facebook and, <laughs> No one expected our current situation. A year ago, oh, that'll never happen. He'll, he'll never get that far. Here we are. Sometimes the unexpected happens. This is life under the sun. 
He's seen these evils. We're seeing evils play out. And at least lifting the veil for us that we live in this great Christian nation. Markets crash, cars break, companies fall apart. And sometimes it even happens in these ironic ways, like, like when you have 10,000 spoons and all you need is a knife. Sometimes things just don't. Irony plays out. Look what he says in verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. So he says, look, sometimes there's a guy digging a pit. Man, how did he, how did he die? Well, he fell into the pit he was digging. Man, that seems crazy. Like, what, what a way to go. And well, what about that other guy? Well, he was, you know, he was doing a, a demo in a house, making a nice open concept, and uh, he got bit by a snake that was in the wall. That copperhead that was in there, he didn't notice there was a nest. Over. Verse 9, he who quarries stones, Fred Flintstone, is hurt by them. How'd that guy die? On that rock he was clearing, it fell on his head. Over. He who splits logs is endangered by them. How'd that guy go? Man, he was cutting down trees like he always does, and his passion is love, and it just took him out. What's his point? Sometimes things just happen the way they do, not because some demon put a copperhead nest in, you know, in, in your house, but because we live under the sun. Things just happen sometimes because we live under the sun. And the wise man, I think this is kind of his point, as we'll see in verse 10. The wise man is aware of how things may unfold and tries to take precautions. The foolish man just charges ahead. Look at verse 10. Ecclesiastes 10.10. 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So wisdom doesn't make your life harder. A lot of people think that, oh, if I'm trying to live by God's way and by his rules, I'll have less joy, I'll have less fun. I just like, no, he's saying that wisdom makes your life, helps one to succeed. The last verse, the last word in verse 10. Wisdom helps you live under the sun. It makes you more faithful. Wisdom makes calmness easier. If you know a calm person, like think about the calm person that you know. This person never flips out. They're not unstable. Like I know there's, there's this parent at my daughter's school she just seems like she's like always carrying like china plates everywhere she goes. I'm like, man, you got to chill. Like you're about to freak me out. I mean, she's just always like, uh, just all the time. Like, man, she's got to be stressed out. So think about people you know that are so calm. They're, just, they're never shaking. They're never like freaking out. They're probably also very wise. They probably say when they do talk, they say stuff and you go, man, that was good. That was, that was helpful. But listen, we have to put the wisdom to work. This is what he's saying in verse 10. If the iron is not sharp, it's dull, you know, sharpen the edge, you've got to use more strength. It's going to be harder. Everyone knows that a sharper knife is easier to use than a dull knife. But yet, most people cut themselves, and when they're cooking in the kitchen and cutting stuff, not because they're using a knife that's too sharp, but one that's too dull. So they have to press down harder. They've got to work harder, and then like, ah, and it slips, and then, oh, they cut their finger. Not because it's too sharp. Because it was too dull. And I know this too. I can reach into the drawer, grab the knife that I know is usually not as sharp as the one right next to it, but this one was closer. So I take it, and I'm like trying to saw through this strawberry, and I can't make it. And I go, man, I could get that other knife, but I just got this one. I don't want to dirty another dish. And so I go, why? It's not the the dirtiness. You just rinse it off and put it back in the drawer. It's just a strawberry. It's not raw chicken. It's a strawberry. Just put it back in there. So why, why don't I reach for the other one? Because even to reach for that other knife is to admit that I made a wrong decision. Even to go and reach for that other knife is to admit, and even all by myself, is to admit to myself that I didn't make a good choice. 
that I was wrong. And so instead, I'll just try to keep sawing my way through. Really? Stubbornness is a zealous foolishness. The stubbornness in my life and in your life isn't a virtue a lot of times. It is just a stubborn foolishness. It's just amped up arrogance. It's, it's refusal to admit I was wrong and that there was a better way. And look at verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him. So he said in, then in verse 10, wisdom helps you succeed. Now in verse 15, what does foolishness do? It wears you out for he does not know the way to the city. He's too proud to ask. A good friend of mine picked me up. He lives in Nashville now. He picked me up from the airport in Nashville, and he's lived there for about two, two and a half, maybe three years. And he picks me up, we get in his car, and he puts in his address to his house and his Google Maps on his phone. And I just thought, that's kind of weird. Like, it's to your house. You just came from there. But whatever. So we go to his house. And then we get to his house, and he says, okay, you want to go to the coffee shop? Yeah, let's go. Takes his phone out, puts the address to the coffee shop in his phone, and then we go. Thought, it was like two minutes away. And we get there. He goes, okay, let's go back to my house. I need to pick up a guitar. All right. So he puts his address back in his phone to his house from the coffee shop, which we just came from. Okay. Then we get to his house. Hey, let's go up to our church's building. I want to go show you something. Okay. Takes his phone, puts in his church's address, and then we go. And finally, I'm like, Tim, you've lived here for almost three years. Don't you know how to get to your church's building from your house? Nah, man. I get lost every time. If I try to not use my phone, I just don't pay attention. I don't know where I'm at, and I just get lost. So I thought, like, dude, that's incredible, because I've been here like an hour, and I kind of have a layout of Nashville now. <laughs> and even when he took me back to the airport, he forgot to put it into his phone, and we're just driving, and I notice we're all on the far left-hand lane. Like, hey, doesn't that sign mean that in the universal sign for airport mean we should be in that lane? Uh-oh. <laughs> what would have happened if I would have said anything? Oh, we would have ended up in Memphis. There's, there's no doubt. <laughs> so is he a fool for using Google Maps all the time? No. The fool doesn't know the way to the city and does nothing about it. It's the wise man that admits, I need help, and I know where to go to find it. Pretending, pretending you have it all together will destroy your life. The fool keeps on pretending. Pretending to have it all together is a cancer in the Christian church. It should not be. Will we humbly realize we need his grace? When we humbly realize that we do have dead flies in our ointment and we need his purifying power at work in us. I love verse 11. This is a fun word picture too. Verse 11. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. So you should picture, I think, something. You got this little wicker basket. You got another Aladdin type looking figure. And he's got his annoying recorder that every elementary student has to play hot cross buns and all that stuff. And here he is to charm the snake. And he's going to play his little thing, and the snake's going to pop out and flare up, and the little cobra's going to do all its, all its neat stuff. And people are going, oh, it's very neat. Well, this time Solomon says he's talking too much. He's, okay, I'm going to charm the snake for you. Everybody line up, line up. Yeah, check it out, check it out, check it out. Okay, you ready? And then he forgets to play. He opens up the thing, and then and it just comes out, and the cobra bites him in the neck. 
Well, what does he do now? He can't go, I better play my song now. It's, it's too late. <laughs> you can't retroactively add in wisdom now to fix the situation. This verse greatly applies to us in the Bible Belt, especially if you've been in church for more than a day. Don't be like this snake charmer. Number one, don't be a snake charmer, okay? <laughs> that should be any elementary kid in here. Oh, that sounds cool. No, no. Don't be a snake charmer. But here's the problem. This guy was filled with all the knowledge. He had all the equipment. He knew exactly what to do, but he didn't do it. And churches like ours are often filled with Bible-believing, Jesus-saying, praying families. They know what to do. They know what is sin and what is not, and they don't do it. They refuse to live what they know. We sin not because we didn't know it was wrong. Like, I bet you're like, oh, man, I didn't know lusting was bad. I didn't know lusting after someone else's spouse was a sin. I didn't know lying was that big a deal. I mean, we know these are sins. Our lives are usually in the swamp, not because we lacked information, but because we didn't act on the information that we know. Like, I'm probably never going to say anything to you ever that will, like, let you go, oh, that was totally new revolutionary information. Now I don't want to sin anymore. That, that's probably not going to happen. What must happen is we must humbly submit ourselves to Christ. It is more important to live wisely than to know the definition of wisdom. And we in the West, we love our theology. We love to lay out theological arguments and have all the definitions arranged. But unless we live them, they do us no good. We're like the snake charmer who forgot to charm the snake. You know what we really need to know? Because you really know everything you need to know. You have everything you need for life and godliness under the sun. If you know, and I hope you know, that Jesus did die on a real Roman cross for your sins, that he did rise again from the dead, and now that because of him and by faith in him and him alone, that you've been crucified with him and that you've been raised with him for newness of life, and now that sin no longer has dominion over you, and now that you are filled by his Holy Spirit, and now you are awaiting for his returning, the appearing of the glory of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and until then, you walk with him in a newness of life. If you know those things, and that's to be a Christian. That's just basic, fundamental discipleship with Jesus. You have everything you need for life and godliness. So what will change your life, as I've said, is just a humble submission to the Lord. It's, that's the acting upon the information we have, a calm and humble following of Christ in life. That's the way, that's the, that's the way to the right. The way to the left is the rest of what Solomon talks about. The fool keeps talking in verse 12. His, he speaks and his lips, the lips of a fool consume him. The wise person, his, his, his words give him favor. They bring blessing. They bring encouragement. The wise person, the one who follows Christ, only speaks that which glorifies Christ and, and gives encouragement to others around him and builds others up. Fools talk a big game. That's verse 13 and, and 14. A fool multiplies his words but doesn't follow through. The foolish leader parties at the wrong time. That's verse 16. 
Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince feasts in the morning. They don't lead. They don't care about who they're for. They only care about themselves. Foolish people, we only care about ourselves. Much like the disciples, we only care about our reputation, only care about ourselves. Let's smoke and let's bring the fire down. And verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks in. Through indolence, the house leaks. Because, because of our laziness and our inaction, because it's an inconvenience to us, oh, things fall apart. Ah, my child needs my help, but with homework, oh, man, after school, after work, I'm so tired. Ugh. Ah, the roof is leaking. I got I to gotta do something about that. It's my day off. I don't... Through indolence, the house leaks. Fools, verse 19, bread's made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Fools think that's all it's for. It's for partying. It is for parties, but it's also for sustenance. It is for life. Fools think money fixes everything. Ah, money takes care of everything. No, tell that to Johnny Football. Tell that to people who paid hush money and the people didn't hush. Fools think they can get away with anything, especially verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. Why? For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some, ring, some winged creature tell the matter. That little phrase, oh, a little birdie told me. Solomon saying, you know how uh, Kim Jong-un, why his uncle got killed, the North Korean dictator? Probably a little birdie told Kim Jong-un what he said. Gossip is a leaky barrel of toxic waste. It always boomerangs. And it's just not even, even your bedroom. Don't even, don't even say these things in your bedroom. Why? Because you start saying it in there, you feel safe to say it there, then you'll say it somewhere else. Then kill those thoughts now. Repent of those thoughts now. And if someone ever says to you, between you and me, that is not a safe insurance policy. Because <laughs> you can be sure they've probably said that to others, between you and me, between you and me. Before you know it, you've got a whole community of between you's and me's. Foolish leaders, foolish followers, foolish decisions, foolishness abounds under the sun. And we know this because if you go all the way back to verse 1, this is really telling the story of our lives. We've picked dead flies off of our lives and the stench that's in them and our relationships and our decisions. We've all gone the way of the fool. We've veered to the left. Has anyone ever been perfectly calm their whole life? They've never lost it on a Bahama Bucks employee? Anything? They've never freaked out. You've never exploded. You've never panicked for no reason. No, we've all done that. We've all said foolish things. We've all said foolish things, and we, we couldn't stop talking, and we were making it worse. This is why, because Solomon's really, he's going over our lives. This is why, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, why Jesus Christ must be our wisdom. Because how are you going to fix all this in your life? I'll just try harder. That's never worked. I'll, I'll be better tomorrow. No, you won't. This is mere force of will. doesn't change anything. We need Jesus Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, who died for our sinfulness, who took all of our dead flies and put them on himself. That when we have done all of the things that warrant us being under the wrath of God, Jesus went under it for us dying on the cross, paying the absolute and total penalty for our sins. And he rose from the dead and gives us new life, and we live by faith alone in him. See, Jesus, he does save us from our sin, but he also empowers us to live 
that wise life because we could not do it. This is why the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, for Christians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now his wisdom is played out in me. He saves us from our foolishness, and he empowers us to to live wisely. We need his empowering under the sun because we all have dead lives, giving off a stench, dead flies, giving off a dead stench in our lives. But your life isn't irreparable. You might be sitting here thinking, yeah, I've got a lot. We all have it. But I've got more than this person. I've done things that people would be freaked out if I mentioned. And your, your life is not irreparable. That stench is not unwashable. As Paul says in Ephesians 5, I love what he tells us. He says, therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, well, how? And how are we going to do that? How are we going to go in the way of God and walk in love as Christ loved us? Jesus really does love us. He really does care for us. He really does look at us with love in his heart. How do we know that? He gave himself up for us on the cross. And look at how Paul describes this, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In Christ, the stench of dead flies in the ointment of our lives is replaced, is exchanged, and is extinguished with the fragrant offering of Christ's perfect life and death in our, in our place. And now fully pleasing to God. Before Christ, all he smells from us, all the God of the universe smells is the dead flies of ointment in our life. But now with Christ, Now there is an overpowering, fragrant aroma of the righteousness of Christ. That's why this is the imagery of the Old Testament when they would offer these animals and sacrifice them and and they're burning them, the smell that would go up in the air. It smell amazing, just like that charcoal fire. Oh, ah, he puts steaks on the grill, smells amazing. Now the Lord looks down, no, no dead flies, not the stench. Now the fragrant offering of Christ. He is the smell of wisdom. He's the smell we need in our lives. Do you have faith in him? Do you have him? He is our wisdom. He is our antidote. He is our recovery, and he is our life. So will you walk in the way of Christ? Not just knowledge, but the way of Jesus. Or will you keep veering to the left? For wide is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path that leads to life, and few are those who find it. And he is the door, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the only way by which we can get to the Father. So come to him and walk with him for newness of life. Let's pray together.